0: We would like to introduce the Local Legends series. These episodes, we will be chatting with some of the best on-track talent I have ever had the pleasure to see play on the track and have the ultimate experience as a fan that has turned player to share the track with them in scrimmages and games. Hey, this is Ohm Wrecker from Pittsburgh Undead and B-Side Roller Derby, and you're listening to Out from Under the Bed, a Meowder Limits production. Good evening, friends. This is your host, the Boogeyman, joined by my lovely co-host, Master Sedator. Tonight, we are introducing the Local Legends series. In this installment, we have Raven Lunatic. She got her start in the roller derby around 2010, and she is here today to tell her story about her time with the legendary Arizona Derby dames. So let's give a warm welcome to Raven Lunatic.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: <laughs> well, hello, Raven, and welcome to the program. It's been a while since I have been face-to-face with you.
1: Indeed. <laughs> Quite a number of years, but this is cool.
0: So what kind of prior roller skating experience did you have prior to joining the roller derby?
1: Um, Literally just being a little kid in my driveway in my, like, little kid skates. Um, that was, that was it like as an adult or as a teenager, even really, there was a huge gap of existence where I wasn't skating before I tried out for roller derby. So when I tried out for roller derby, I was pretty green. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I was like, my mom worked at a skating rink when I was five. So because she worked there, she got me like skating lessons And then that's when I learned how like the basics of how to skate and, um, you know, thought it was really fun and then had my skates at home and would just kind of skate up and down my driveway kind of thing. And then after like maybe age nine or 10, it just kind of, you know, stopped happening. And then until my early 30s when I joined Derby.
0: (laughs) So what was your introduction to roller Derby? How did you find that that was a thing here in Arizona?
1: So this was like mid-2000s. The uh, company that I worked for, um, so worked for this like corporation, like office type job. And one of the um, couriers was this guy who was in a local band and he and I became friends. And he invited me to come and see his band play during the intermission at the, uh, AZRD bout. And I'm like, oh, roller derby. Cool. But I'm like, I'm just wanting to go and see my friend's band play. So I'm going to support my friend's band. And it was me and my kids and my girlfriend at the time, we all went to go check out his band. And, um, you know, band was cool and everything. But me and my kids all left there completely obsessed in love with AZRD. And this was like during their th- like third season. So at the time they were the only Derby league in Phoenix. So it was, we just left completely obsessed and we went to every bout after that and just were fans for like five years before I got up the nerve to try out.
0: <laughs> and did you try out for Arizona roller derby?
1: I did not. I tried out like the, um, I tried out for Derby names because, again, by the time I had worked up the nerve to actually give it a shot, um, other leagues had formed, and then I found out that Derby Dames had the, you know, old-school bank track, and I thought that was really cool because it was, you know, like traditional back-in-the-day roller derby with the big wooden track. So that really appealed to me, and I'm like, well, I'm going to – they're my first pick because bank track, but if I – you know, try out and I don't make it. I've got other leagues that I can try out because I just want to play, you know. I just want to see if I can do it. And um, to my surprise, they, I I passed, I made it through tryouts and got into fresh meat on my first try. Nice. So.
0: Awesome. So when you were at the tryout, was there a a skater there that was with the league already that kind of like, really reeled you in
1: um honestly a lot of them so it was so the the tryouts that I went to were run by the team like the league trainers that they had at the time and like a couple of captains and half the trainers were team captains at the time actually um and most of them I was pretty intimidated by, to be honest. Like this was like Laura stabs and Rowdy roulette and lady lawless and, uh, Frankie Fitz mm. were the trainers. Yeah. And
0: that's an intimidating
1: bunch, right? there. They, sure. they, and then lawless ended up wound up being my captain. Cause I ended up getting drafted to the bombshells. Um, but yeah, like they, they intimidated the crap out of me and they were like just super hardcore. Um, And there was an inner, it wasn't just the actual skating tryouts at the time. There was a whole like interview process where they would interview you one-on-one to see if you would be a good fit. And, you know, like what attracted you to Derby? Why do you want to do bank track? You know, are you prepared for X, Y, and Z? And to kind of get a feel for, you know, why you want to do it and, and what your personality is like and see if you'd be a good fit. And I was interviewed by Lawless. So she... She was pretty intense and I'm already intimidated and tripping over my words and like wondering, and I'm already dying because this is the first time I've been on roller skates since I was 10, you know, and I wasn't an athlete of any caliber at the time I was going into this completely deconditioned and I don't, they saw something in me and decided to give me the green light, but yeah, it was, it was intense. Um, I think as intimidated as I was by all of them at the time, I think I looked up to um, probably looked up to Rowdy and Lawless the most at that time. Um, Lawless. Cause we had that connection. Cause she did my interview and then she ended up being my captain later on. Um, and Rowdy just had um, just so much passion for the sport and for the league that it was, you know, she was an intense personality, but her passion for everything was really infectious. So I, I looked up to that at the time.
0: Master, as someone who has tried out for the Derby Dames yourself, can you relate to any of this?
1: Um, actually, um, when I went to the trouts, it was very intimidating and, um, actually watching the roller rage, um, bank track, um, was interesting just because uh, Pikachu was one of the ones. And um, I remember her being there and just being like super intimidated. And now knowing people in the community and they're, everybody's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yes, I felt those feelings. <laughs> so my daughter was actually um, in the Derby Dames for two years, like right when she turned 18. And she was teammates with Pikachu. They were both on the Scrappers at the time. And when they played, I, when they were both scrappers, I was teammates on the bombshells with Peek's mom, uh, oh, Pocket nice, Change. Nice. So we literally had bouts where it was like mother versus daughter times two whenever the bombshells played the scrappers. That's so, awesome.
0: yeah. Well, that I forgot that Pocket Change and Pikachu are mother daughter. So that sounds like another generations yeah. interview I should be getting in on.
1: Uh, three, because. Uh, Pocket has two, has two daughters that played because she also had, um, dang it, I'm derping on her name right now, but Peek's older sister. Um, she was a dragger for a minute and I'm completely spacing on her name right now. But, um, yeah, all three of them were on teams all at the same time. Like Peek was in minor assaults and then eventually like aged up into the scrappers. But at the time there was like minors, um scrappers and draggers was like the whole freaking family
0: okay so after that tryout Mm -hmm. and you got to your first practice (laughs) when you pulled up in your car before Mm -hmm. you even got out of your car let's give the listening audience some of those nerves you were feeling
1: first practice at the very beginning i wasn't I wasn't as nervous as I was for tryouts. I was definitely nervous, but tryouts were definitely scarier, but I show up to my first practice. Um, it was Frankie and Ellie Mayhem were running this Like Frankie was running the pack, the practice, and Ellie was like, there, you know, running it. But Frankie was the one kind of who who took charge of that particular practice. And, um, I didn't really get like nervous, nervous until we actually got on the track and started skating. And it's like bare bones, like, you know, we're going to teach you how to properly skate on the track. And this is somebody who used to wear Barbie skates and just cruise up and down her driveway at home. I didn't know how to do crossovers. I didn't know how to transition. I didn't know how to do any of this stuff. They're just trying to teach us how to skate the track properly. And they're trying to get us to do crossovers. So not only do I have to learn how to cross over to turn, but I have to do it on a tilt. And that's that, like, once we were doing that, that was freaking scary. And then having Fitz yelling at you to do like pace lines and stuff and trying to keep up with the pace line. And looking back on it now, like, it was a, like, you know, slow as molasses pace line, but all of us are like, well, most of us, there were some that were like legit seasoned skaters, but the majority of us were like sucking wind and just dying. And I'm like, I'm completely deconditioned and I'm struggling to catch up and just dying like between every drill. So the nerves didn't really hit until like, you know, after we started doing drills and doing pace lines and just skating. And then I'm physically feeling like, can I even do this? Cause I can't even keep up, you know? And skip ahead to like our third practice, which our third practice was run by Rowdy. That was the first one we had with Rowdy. And she comes in as like full on screaming, yelling, freaking drill sergeant type, and just ran us into the ground. And I think I went home crying after that practice. (laughs) Like I was in, like, I thought like, Fitz and Ellie and all them like worked us hard like Rowdy like ran us into the ground and it was like she screamed at like by name was screaming at me to catch up during a pace line and I'm I am skating as fast as I possibly can to catch up to the pace line and I couldn't catch up. And yeah, I was just so defeated after that practice. So that was that was honestly like all around, like as far as nerves, as far as like intensity and everything, that third practice was worse than the first practice.
0: Yeah, I remember, shout out to Laura Stabs by the way, cause she showed a lot of us boys that didn't have any track time mm-hmm. on the bank track with the exception of a couple of us. So shout out to her. But my first experience on the bank track um, was different because I got kind of dizzy as I was skating the track, like knowing how to play flat track and stuff. Mm-hmm. But being on the angle, it I started getting like this weird vertigo at first. But I mean, I warmed up to it pretty quickly, though. Yeah, but yeah. Laura Stabs is like my Obi Wan Kenobi when mm-hmm. it comes to
1: bank track roller derby. No, Stabs was awesome. She was a fantastic trainer too. Like she was, like I said, like she was one of the OG trainers. And then also, this wasn't like just um, as like a side note, this particular season, this was AZDD season five tryouts. Okay. Which was the very first season that had not the first season that had that, that they played on the bank track. Cause season four was the first season that they played on the bank track, but all of the fresh meat on that season were going through fresh meat and learning flat track, but they helped build the track.
0: Yeah, so they, they went from like track they
1: went from they went from learning how to play on the flat and then getting drafted to teams and now that we're on teams and we have the season starting and our track is finished now everything you learned on the flat ground you're going to apply it to this big wooden track so season five like the fresh meat group that I was in we were the first fresh meat group to be trained on the tr- on the bank track.
0: Hell yeah. Oh. Look at you. Yeah. History right here. This is yeah. why I started this local legend series so we could hear shit like this.
1: And out of everybody in my fresh meat group, I was the last to retire. I stayed in the league longer than anybody else from my fresh meat group.
0: Hell yeah. Nice. So what kind of uh skates and gear did you have when you first started?
1: Oh I was like okay I went like so gung ho. I wanted to be as absolutely legit and pro as possible. So they even told us before tryouts are like, you know, don't go buying gear yet, you know, because it's not a guarantee that you're going to get in. And then we're going to let you know and give you recommendations of the good stuff to get. And I was just so in my head about everything that I went and did research with what all the other local leagues were, were using and did all this homework and everything on my own. And I'm like, no, I'm going to play it whether I get in this league or not. So I need to have my own gear. So I showed up to tryouts with my own gear. So I had like, I went to like, I think it was oh god what freaking website was it 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 wasn't it was like discount skate something i don't know but they had like all kinds of like every type of skate everything but they had like roller derby fresh meat package
0: yeah it was uh it was that was here you bought it here in no this was online okay because we have uh there's discount skateware, which is also edge. pro's edge
1: yeah, no, it wasn't Pro's Edge. This was something else completely different. This was like some, just some like warehouse website thing. Oh, okay,
0: yeah, because I can't remember. There's, I mean, you, yeah, you started a year before I did, so like I bought all my shit at Sidewalk Surfer to start out.
1: Yeah, but I ordered, yeah. I ordered a fresh meat package from some like roller skate website online, and it was like a complete set of like triple eight pads and helmet and, um, like the, uh, sure grip rebel skates. Okay. So it was like 200, $250 for the whole package, which was good enough to get me started. But then I come to find out that those triple eight pads do not hold up because about a month and a half, two months into fresh meat. Um, I was having to replace them because my knees were bruising. Yeah,
0: they What did were... you, pl- you replace them with?
1: Oh, I went and got one A seven Pros after oh, that. Okay. <laughs> I oh, was yeah. told. I was told by the trainers and by everybody else in the league. They're like, "Do not set foot on this track again until you replace your pads and replace them with one A seven Pros." And that's like I for like knee pads. Like that's what I stuck with after that. I did um, kind of inherit a set of like destroyer knee pads when those first came out oh i
0: remember those yeah like
1: one of the one of the brides um had them and she tried them out and she was kind of like you know they're cool and everything but they kind of fit me weird so if you want them you can have them so she just gave me her you know barely used destroyers and that's what i like finished my season in but yeah i can- i've always went back to the 187 pro's and then once i outgrew my my rebels i skated in those sure grip rebels for like one season and uh my first veteran season on the bombshells like during the off season i upgraded my skates and did a full um uh like Rydell custom build that Pitchett built me nice so it was the um uh and they sold me on the um uh i forget it was so long ago i don't even remember Wanting to say it's this like, I'm wanting to say it's a Starlight plate or whatever. It's like that reinforced nylon plate that has the lifetime guarantee.
0: Yeah, master knows. Sunlight. Sunlight,
1: that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I had those. (laughs) And it's got, but it's got like the metal crossbar for the Mm -hmm. extra support, but then you can remove it. Okay. But even if you remove it and just have like the nylon, it's still got that lifetime guarantee of never breaking. And it was lighter than the stock um, nylon plate that the rebels came with. Right. So I had like the Rydell 495 boot, the, um, and, and the sunlight plate and like the gum and gumball stoppers and, uh, like the giant super ball yeah. gumballs. And then, um, I don't remember what kind of wheels I had, but I remember I skated on 93s. So like ninety three ninety five indoor wheels is what I usually stuck with. And they, Did me pretty well for a long time.
0: To the best of my knowledge, the Derby Dames have somewhat of a Big Sisters program and a Littles. I don't know if they do that anymore or if they had that when you started. Did you have a Big
1: Sister when you started? They did have that program when I started. I think they had just started that program or maybe I don't remember if it was my season or the season before that they had started the Big Sisters program. Um, but yes, I did have a big sister and then I became a big sister and was a big sister for a long time. Cause I really, really loved that program.
0: Who is one of your littles that has always stuck with you?
1: Believe it or not, my first little, I think she was my first little. Yeah. I'm pretty sure she was, she was my first little or one of the first ones that I had was, uh, Lilu.
0: Oh, the dragger's old captain. Nice. All right. All right. So
1: yeah, she went from fresh meat to captain like in half a season. So yeah, but yeah, she was, she was my derby little sister. Um, and, uh, uh, who else was, uh, Candy Suicide was one of my littles, um, who ended up becoming a teammate. Um, my big sister, when I was in fresh meat was a dragger was Reese, uh, Reese killer spoon. Um, and she, she was on, she was in the fresh greet fresh meat group right before mine. She did fresh meat with, um, like Abby Arsenic. Okay. Um, and I think that was actually her derby wife if I'm, if memory serves, but yeah, I know they did fresh meat together. Um, and that was like the season right before me and, uh, she went to the draggers and uh, or they both went to the draggers and then yeah, Reese ended up being my big sister and we had our first skate date and then she got injured in a game so we couldn't go and do like skating or anything together anymore because she was trying to recover from an ankle injury um and she felt really bad cuz she felt like she was like turned into a total like deadbeat big and let <laughs> me down and I'm like girl no because you're still like reaching out to me and even though you can't skate you're still like talking to me and hanging out with me and helping me with stuff and If I'm frustrated with practice, like I would reach out to her and she'd be like, no, bitch, you can do it, you know? (laughs) So she just became like my cheerleader during Fresh Meat, even though she couldn't skate. She was still like my cheerleader. So, yeah, she was awesome. Oh.
0: What are some of the skills that you struggled with at first when learning roller derby? Crossovers, (laughs)
1: crossovers. <laughs> like I mean again like I was like so deconditioned and so green for everything like I was going like even though I skated as a kid and I knew the basics of stand up and push off and go, you know, forward or whatever, like I still was like improvising and winging it and I had to learn everything brand new from scratch. So like, you know, just getting crossovers down in the beginning was the hardest thing for me. Once I had that down, um everything was cool. But like, the biggest Oh, God, probably the one skill that I struggled with the most, even all the way up through to the end, um, would probably be just I don't even know. Gating the track in the opposite direction. Oh, (laughs) Um, Probably hockey stops I struggled with. Like, I could plow stop and and I could do, like, the turn, like, tomahawks and all of that. Um, But, like, a hockey stop, forget it. It was not happening.
0: That half plow with your left foot Mm -hmm. is, like, one of the fucking hardest things for me to do. Um, Unless if I have, like, a slidey wheel on the bank track. If I have, Mm -hmm. like, A too sticky of a wheel that ain't happening but i got that slide
1: i could do it yeah i could i could kind of do it on the flat but like maybe 75 percent of the time on the flat i could do it but on the bank forget it it was not happening like at all
0: yeah it's i i mean just watching some some of the skaters do that in like a gameplay situation i'm like man i would I would just go for the full plow because that's what I'm used to being mm-hmm. a flat track skater. But.
1: ooh, another thing was like one of the things that they were really trying to like advance skill wise, like once you're on a team, they wanted to see if, you know, they started incorporating these into our practices on the bombshells was uh, they were trying to get everybody to be able to learn how to jump the coping. And I could never get it down. <laughs> I could not get it down to save my life. But I could nail, like, a no-look rail hit, though.
0: (laughs) So you were a part of the Derby Dames during the Coliseum days. Yes. What was it like playing at the Madhouse on McDowell?
1: Dude, I grew up, okay, I am, like, in my mid-40s now. And I remember being a little kid in, like, fifth grade and sixth grade and like the elementary school I went to, like you got rewarded with like Suns tickets for getting on the honor roll, like that yeah. kind of stuff. And I went to like the old school Suns games at like nine and 10 and 11 years old for school. And it was always at the Coliseum and we'd have like the Phoenix Suns gorilla come to school and shit like that. So like, and the state fair and everything, all these like staple, if you're like a Phoenix native or an Arizona native, that's the stuff that's just like, the iconic Phoenix things that you grow up with. So like playing, actually being in the Coliseum and just getting to do something on the Coliseum floor that people are coming to see you do was like, I was like, I wanted to throw up that first. <laughs> Cause it was just like, I had like one of my team, like I had a teammate that was in fresh meat with me. Like we got back drafted to the Bomb tells together. And she actually did throw up before the game because she was nervous about the game and like wanting to do well. And I didn't throw up, but I felt like I was going to, because like I was nervous about the game, but I was also like just geeking out over like, holy fuck, I'm in the Coliseum. Like it was, it was insane. It was absolutely crazy. Thunder
0: Dan Marley was standing on this floor at one time. Danny Ainge, like as a fan, when I would go to the games at the Coliseum, that was the coolest part about it for me. Yeah, Because I would get down there and be on the floor And I would just stand there, and sometimes just like look around and be like, "Thunder Dan Marley, yeah, was down here at one time." Because you know, I just referred to it as the Madhouse on McDowell. Exactly. That's what I will always refer to it as, even though Veterans Memorial Coliseum is a fucking dope ass name. It's always
1: like it's always been like officially like that's been the official name, but like the. The locals from back in the day will always know it as the Madhouse on Mattel. Like, always. I don't care who you are. <laughs> That's what it is.
0: So, you would say the atmosphere of that building when games were going on... I mean, like I said, as a fan, they were always fucking crazy. Yeah. Crazy, like, atmosphere kind of games. What was it like for you as a player?
1: It was... Again, like in the be- in the beginning, like very that first game was absolutely like I said, just totally geeking out because holy fuck, I'm in the Coliseum. Um, but and people are coming to see me do a thing in the Coliseum, which is crazy. But like after that, it's like you're nervous, but like once you get on the track and that first whistle blows, like everything else falls away and you don't even like just the world just stops existing and then you don't even realize that there's people here watching you and, you know, all of these things are happening until like you actually stop moving. So like once you stop moving, then it's like reality sets in again. And it's like, oh shit, there's people up here that are like cheering and clapping and whatever, you know? And then like at first, like my first couple of seasons on the bombshells, I didn't get very much gameplay at all. Like it was, I actually technically didn't even pass my skills test. Technically, like the the judges were split and they couldn't decide if they wanted to pass me or not. And what ended up happening was I didn't pass my skills test, but I still got drafted to a team. And my team that drafted me said, like, we will get her trained up so that she will pass her skills test. And then I ended up retraining. I, so I went on my team. I wasn't about eligible yet, but I worked with them and they, they helped me. And then I redid my skills test and passed. And then the following season I got to play, but those first few seasons, I didn't get a whole lot of play at all. I was like, you know, I was lucky if I got to skate, like maybe, maybe two or three times a quarter, you know, I was like total like bench warmer girl, but I was like, you know, I'd show up to practice. I would do the extra practices. We would have like park skates and, you know, all these other things. And I'm like, I tried to, you know, I got a gym membership and I was like trying to do everything I could to get up to the level to where I could just not be a bench warmer. But yeah, I was like, like, even though I wasn't getting a whole lot of gameplay those first few seasons, it was still like I'm here and I still get to do something, you know, and my, and you know, my, kids and my husband are sitting in the stands and they think it's cool and they don't care if mom only skates in one jam or 10 jams they're like mom's on that track and it's super cool and they had something to brag about (laughs) you know
0: so the bombshells was your first team you were
1: drafted to bombshells was my first team i was with them for six seasons what kind of
0: pride did you feel when you got drafted to that team do you drive home in your car like Fuck yeah, shaking the steering wheel or like, how'd you feel about that being it, drafted?
1: It was it was very mixed emotions because of the special circumstances of my draft. Yeah. Like I was really sad and disappointed and, and upset because I didn't pass my skills test. And then so I go home sad and then they call me and ask me to come back to the warehouse. And I go back and they pull me into a meeting and they're like um, they decided to draft me anyway, Um, even though I didn't pass. I still have to retake my skills test, but you're still going to go on to a team and your team is going to train you up. And originally going in everybody kind of not everybody like some girls just want to be they're just happy to be there and don't care what team they go to and other girls are like fans of different teams or maybe they're not a fan of the team they just think this team's aesthetic is really cool and i vibe with that so that's a team i want to be on and then you go through fresh meat and then you find out who you vibe with and maybe who you wanted to be whose team you wanted to be on isn't the same you know i went in like die hard wanting to be a coffin dragger and by halfway through fresh meat, no one didn't, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And then as we got closer towards the end and they were opening up the team practices for us to drop in on, I went to every single team practice. So I skated with all the teams and I, you know, just getting to know people and seeing who I vibed with and everything, you know, totally, you know, like nothing personal on the draggers or whatever, but I went from like wanting to be a dragger in the beginning to yeah, no, like not we're not vibing, you know, it's it's not working. Um so and I ended up gelling with the bombshells at the time really, really well. So I was kind of like, you know, if they pick me up, that would probably be the best case scenario because I'm really vibing with these girls, you know. And When they, the captain and co-captain at the time found out that I didn't pass my skills test, they were like, you know, why? Like, why didn't she pass? She's been doing so well. And they went over and they're like, well, we were really torn. And ultimately we decided this and everything. They're like, well, if you let me draft her, then I will make sure that she gets trained up and that she will pass her next skills test. So they made that exception. And it was because the bombshells campaigned to management, you know which I, at the time, so I went from feeling like super shitty to feeling like, wow, they really saw something and they really believed in me that they wanted to draft me even though I didn't pass. Um, And then after that came the hazing. (laughs) Yes, I was going to ask you.
0: What kind of rookie hazing is involved?
1: So, okay. So they actually did not do actual hazing anymore. Um, No
0: pink bellies.
1: Nothing like that. I heard stories of like the hazing rituals they had in the early seasons, but they had put a stop to it before my season got there. Um, But yeah, I heard stories of like, you know, making, like making fresh meat girls like do burpees till they throw up, like in in the heat or like, running over pizza and making them eat it and stuff like that like, I, these are all stories i heard and then but yeah like they ended up they're like no we're not gonna do this anymore and they didn't you know i don't know how much of that is true that's just shit that i heard from some of the vet skaters at the time um that were like really butthurt that they didn't allow hazing anymore but by the time my group came in there was no more hazing but like you know, it went from, Oh my God, I'm so excited because the team that I wanted to be on after all wanted me to, and I got drafted to them. And then like, as soon as the practices kick in, it was very much like it, it was like, uh, it was like humbling, like crazy. Like it was, I have really good, I always had like either really good practice days or really shit practice days. And the shit practice days, they let me know they were shit, you know, like in no uncertain terms. So like when I say hazing, it's not really like hazing, but that's kind of how it felt on the bad practice days was like, you know, you just, I either felt like on top of the, it was either like I'm on top of the world and killing it, or you just feel like absolute like, you know, garbage because you just feel like you've let your team down. You know, especially knowing that these people kind of campaigned for you, you know, so when you have a bad practice day, like it, I tried not to let it get to me, but it really got to me. And like, yeah, it was just, it it was a really weird mixed bag of emotions and that it was kind of like that for the first couple of seasons. And then we, you know, I, you know, it probably took me longer to really kind of find my confidence um, and find my voice a little bit on the team and in the league than most girls would. So it took me what would take somebody like maybe a season took me like three or four, like not just skills wise, but confidence wise. And I don't even think it was like my confidence was even fully, fully there at that point, because there was still a lot more growing that happened after that, like even after um. Uh, even after we had a leadership change, I think like my fourth season, because I was on that team for six seasons, so like I had, we had the same leadership for the first three seasons and then we had this whole like, you know, personnel change up and we had different captains and then my last season on the bombshells, I was co-captain Um, and then the following season I left, <laughs> but yeah, it, it took like those first three seasons and failing my fresh meat test and all these other things before I finally was like, felt, felt like I had a consistent piece of like value to offer to my team and to the league. And where I felt confident enough to say, you know, to like, kind of stand up and put myself out there. Cause up until that point, it's just like, you know, everybody else is so much cooler than me and so much better than me. And it's like, you know, they say, you know, comparison is the thief of joy, but it's really hard not to, you know, not to compare yourself to others. at some You know, sometimes. And I struggled with that a lot.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I found out from playing sports since I was like 12 to Mm -hmm. like now being almost 42, having a short memory and being an athlete, go hand in hand. So if I, even to this day, if I feel like I had a shitty practice or, you know, I'll kind of beat myself up about it and like yell at myself, like, what is this fucking amateur night? If I'm not like getting shit right at practice or what have you, but I just got to forget about it because that's going to bleed over into my next, next performance day or this or that. So that's what, that's what a coach told me when I was younger playing football made a mistake, he said, have a short memory. And I didn't quite know what that meant at the time. But as I continued in sports, it made a little bit more sense of what he was saying. Yeah. So I still, you know, still to this day being an active athlete, like short memory, man. You got yeah. another you got another jam out there to to get back out there and fucking forget about the last one.
1: Yeah. And it's really like for me, that was it was so hard um, and, you know, even harder considering how I came into the league and the team in the first place, you know,
0: absolutely. it always,
1: I kind of always had this in the back of my mind that, you know, people can say and do whatever, and it's okay because, you know, they did this for me and i owe it to them i owe them my loyalty i owe them my you know like you know amount of practice and i owe them to i owe this to them and everything and then when i kind of stopped thinking of it that way and was like no you have paid your dues you're this many seasons in and you've got other people that are now coming to you telling you that they see value in you that are not on your team. Like, why are you still sitting here like you have to, you know, like you're the bottom of the rung, you know, and it's um, I started speaking up and showing an interest. I'm like, I want to be a trainer, like my first my rookie season. So we we're talking about the big sister program. Right. So my rookie season was, um, uh, for our, uh, annual roller brawl, which is like our postseason award ceremony party hurrah thing. Right. Um, they actually had an award for the best big sister and I won wow. my rookie season. Wow. I got, oh, I won, yeah. I won best big sister, which I thought was super cool. And I really love the big sister program. And I would like just go out of my way to work with these new skaters. Cause I'm like, I know how you feel you know, like you're intimidated and you're seeing all of these girls and, and all these things. And, and you don't know when you have that insecurity and that, you know, uncertainty and everything. And I'm like, I know how you feel. I still feel that way, you know, and I would just relate to them on that level. And we would go skating and we would do drills and we would just have fun and hang out and do all this stuff. And then they would end up going on to be like these awesome skaters. And sometimes we're teammates and sometimes we weren't, you know, but then like I'd have like a little sister, like knock me on my ass during a bout and I'd be like, damn, dude. Like during the, like in the, in the freaking jam, it's like, oh, you fucking bitch. And then afterwards it's like, dude, I was a sick hit. I'm still feeling it. <laughs> I'm so proud at you, my little baby. And then so like with all of that, I'm like, you know, I'm connecting with all these fresh meat girls and working with them really hard. I'm like, I want to be a trainer. And I was too scared to speak up about it for the longest time. And then when I finally did and there was like some like leadership shuffles that happened around that time, too, Um, as I'm kind of starting to learn to find my voice, I spoke up and expressed an interest in training. And then with, you know, the kind of personnel changes that we had at that time, they're like, we want you to train. Like every single little sister you've had has gone on to do really great things and we see how committed and devoted you are to their success. We want that on our training team. So I wound up for like, yeah, the last four or five seasons that I was in the league, I was training fresh meat. And then I went from just being one of the skating trainers to, um, Cause at the time I was in school for uh, a exercise science degree and um, ended up uh, crossing over into like personal training and fitness and became uh, a CrossFit coach while I was still in Derby and got my degree while I was still in Derby. So while I'm doing all those things, I'm incorporating all of that into like the fresh meat training and was building, you know, was writing all of the off-skates cross-training programs for the fresh meat. And I was writing them for you know, my teammates and we would do workouts on the weekends and stuff like that. And was doing like, you know, fit camps at Phoenix college and stuff like that. And at Steel Indian school park and, you know, like, let's go skate, let's do a workout and go skate. And then like, go grab brunch, like that kind of thing, you know, and with like my little sisters and with my teammates and with the fresh meat and everything. And then I went to, that was, it became, I was one of the rotational skate trainers for the fresh meat practice, but I was there for every single practice because I wrote, I programmed and ran the, uh, cross training workouts, the off-skate stuff. So that was like, and that was probably one of my favorite things that I did throughout my eight years in that league was just working with new skaters and training and helping build them up was like the best thing in the world.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a pretty rewarding thing for myself. Master. Oh, I
1: love doing it. I love the seeing the aha moments. The yes, light bulbs go off is the best. So when did you try out for the dames? Um, I want to say 2019. 2019 sounds right. Okay, yeah. Okay, I was already out by then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. did I was in the game but early thirties also? Yeah. So yeah. okay. Yeah, I was like 31 when I tried yeah. out. Yeah.
0: So I like to know this. Okay. What is the genesis of your derby name and does the number you picked have any significance?
1: <laughs> yes. Um I have gone by Raven with the crazy spelling that I have. Um R-A-E-V-Y-N, because I'm a weirdo and I don't want to be basic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, so we're gonna fuck up the spelling and make it cute, right? Um no, but I've gone by Raven in one form or another since I was like 19 and I knew I wanted to incorporate that imagery and that kind of, you know, that name and just kind of the something to go with that for my Derby name. And it took me a while to figure it out. And, um, I was just kind of thinking up names and brainstorming with friends like goes out at a club, I think, and talking to my friends about it. And I'm all like, you know, they're asking me, how's the derby training going? And I'm like, well, I still need to come up with a name and blah, blah, blah. And we're sitting here just brainstorming names. And I'm like, well, I still want to incorporate Raven into it some, somehow. And a, uh, one of my guy friends was like, how about Raven Lunatic? And I'm like, you can't hear this, but my face is like,
0: <laughs> the jaw's
1: on the floor, the eyes are like saucers right now. So just picture that um but yeah i'm like dude oh my god you're a genius and because i fuck up the spelling of raven we're gonna fuck up the spelling of lunatic too and spell it with a k at the end so you know because yes if we're gonna if you're gonna mess it up go all the way right so absolutely yep i was raven lunatic with a k and i'm like but my number has to match my name it can't just be some random nonsense and i'm not like attracted to any particular number at all or whatever and there was already a number 13 in, the, in there. So I can't use that spooky number. And there was already like variations of sixes and nines. And I'm like, eh, basic, whatever. And it has nothing to do with ra- being a raven lunatic. So um, I actually looked up the state, um, uh, like the different uh, ARS statutes to look up what the criminal code was for escaping a mental as- hospital which is uh, ARS 13-2503, which is what my original, my original Jersey number was 13-2503. And then several seasons in, they changed the rules to where your number can only be no more than four digits. So I just cut the 13 off and made it 2503, but it still applies to the Arizona statute um it's it's so yeah it's it's the actual criminal code for escaping a mental hospital i
0: love it well um as someone who was a former referee that is a mouthful of uh numbers to be yelling out for sure so i got out of being a ref But they shortly after that, they changed that. So I wasn't hollering out like a mouthful of numbers.
1: They did. And even before they changed that, the refs were already shortening me to 2503 anyway. So it was just like, and my husband actually became a ref. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah. So he was, you probably knew him actually, Reverend Knuckleface. I have heard of him, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he was my, my rookie season Yeah, my rookie season, he um, and my kids would go to all my games. honey, shush. He and my kids would go to all my games, and he would be up in the stands. And after every game and during halftime, he would come to me and bitch about all the bullshit calls. And why was this missed? And (laughs) why did she get out rid of that and all of these things? And I'm like, and after a couple of games of this, and I'm like, dude if you're going to bitch about the refs not making the right calls or missing calls or shit or missing penalties or calling bullshit, I'm like, why don't you go join up?
0: Always looking for volunteers.
1: Exactly. And by the end of my rookie season, he was an NSO (laughs) and then was like within two seasons, he was captain and he like led the regulators for like five seasons. Mm -hmm. And then when he retired, he stepped down as like, Captain, but was like still very much very involved with refereeing, and then he retired from being a ref like the year after I retired from skating, and um, then another year late like the year so yeah like I retired from skating. The following year, he retired from refing, and then or like the following season, he retired from refing, and then the beginning of this following, following season after he retired, um, the beauties approached him and asked him to be their coach. So he ended up coaching the beauties. And then from there, he went from coaching the beauties to being approached by Adam to help coach the hot shots. And then he coached the hot shots.
0: And then, and he
1: and I were no longer together at that point, we had already split up, but by the time all of this happened, um, but um, he went from uh, uh, he and his um, other half ended up leaving the state, but he still comes back and refs from time to time. So yeah, I was bummed I missed seeing him at Roller Ridge. Yeah, he was, I think, I think he might've been. He was
0: there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was pretty bummed because the COVID got me. And I got to miss out on seeing all my friends. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was he, the shittiest part. The ones from out of state, especially.
1: Yeah. He came into town. He lives in Ohio now. And like, he came into, into town just for roller rage, yeah. just to ref that. So
0: I love seeing the uh, pictures of the dogs that will lay by the heater and stuff. Makes me smile all the time. Right. When I see those. So I have a ritual before games. Mm-hmm. I scream at myself in the mirror to stay the okay. state of fuck out of my way. Right. Do you have any pregame rituals or uh, routines leading up to game day?
1: Um, I plug into my I ha- I had like a not really like a bout day playlist on Spotify, but like my like super intense heavy workout playlist just to get me pumped, like stuff that I would like, you know, work out in the gym to. I would put that on in my headphones and listen to that while I'm getting ready, um, getting geared up, doing my makeup and, and all of that. And, uh, I got all of my, on on the beauties. I got all of my teammates, um, using the different pre-workout supplements that I (laughs) use. So like I would start using, I had all my different supplements. I had like my protein powders for recovery and I had all these other things that I was using. And they, because I was, you know, in school for this and learning about like sports nutrition and health and fitness and all this stuff you know, they were coming to me for recommendations. So like what ended up becoming part of the ritual was like bringing in the pre-workout and all of us doing a shot of pre-workout before yeah. a game. Awesome. So, and, and before long, I had like three or four teammates who were using the same brand that I was using. <laughs> okay. And it was the stuff that had, I forget, it was like the vitamin shop brand, but it was like, you know, pretty affordable and had like, uh, I'd have like, half a scoop of creatine and then a scoop of pre-workout that had like the beta alanine in it that makes your skin itch. Oh no. Yeah, so, but you feel it kick in and and yeah, like that became so like just doing, you know, metal music, gearing up, makeup. And I would do like a different like war paint face for every game, especially when I got on the beauties. I would always do some kind of pink and black something, but it was some form of like war paint. Um, And I even did like black metal corpse paint that was pink and black for one game. Yeah, Yeah, so it would always be like some type of crazy makeup and metal music. And then the last thing right before we get on the track, pre-workout. And that was, that became like the prep for every game after that. But yeah, I had pink corpse paint. It was lovely. <laughs>
0: we would love to see uh, some photographs of that.
1: Oh, I have some on Facebook. Like, I'll have to dig them up and I'll show you. But yeah, it's crazy.
0: I drank a whole red line before
1: a game once. Like, right before a game, like, oh.
0: right after the anthem started, it felt like my heart was in a bust out of my chest. Oh, my God. Yeah, so.
1: I went, <laughs> that, I, I had committed to doing. I don't think I'll ever do that again. I had committed to doing um, one of the, like, uh open scrimmage fundraisers with like the minor assaults and the adult skate like the adult skaters and everything this one weekend. And I had already signed up so I was committed to it, couldn't back out. And my dumbass went out to like I think I went to a concert the night before and just got shit faced. And I have to go and skate at like 10 o'clock the next morning when I'm pouring myself into bed at like 3 a.m and I'm drunk as shit. So I get up to go skate and I'm just dehydrated and hung over as buck and um didn't have the appropriate color shirts to wear for the scrimmage so i'm like digging through like a bin of old t-shirts to find something for whatever team i was skating on come to find out it was one of the leftovers from one of the minors so my skinny ass squeezed into a child t-shirt who i was jamming against in that scrimmage <laughs> and she approached me later saying you're wearing my shirt um <laughs> you can have it back but it needs to be washed <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I showed up, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to throw up. I feel like shit. I am so hung over. I didn't sleep. I was out at a show last night, blah, blah, blah. And one of my, um, my co-captain at the time on the beauties, she, um, uh, she's like, I've got some coconut water. So I like shotgunned a thing of coconut water and then took an extra just to sit on the track. And from there I was fine. And like, I was, I wasn't even like a jammer, but I was jamming in the scrimmages and I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm fine. Like, I went from feeling like absolute dog shit to like coconut water, the magic elixir.
0: <laughs> so do you
1: remember some of your best games? Um. Yeah, I, there's so there's a couple. So what's crazy is the ones that are most memorable to me Um, are the ones towards, like, my last season on the Bombshells and my first season on the Beauties, I think, was my, like, two best seasons ever. Um, And there was... uh, There was a particular game, I think we was let me think. I don't remember. I'm trying to remember which team I was on at the time. But um, there was one game in particular that um, my team had voted me um, overall MVP for our team for that game. Because we had so many freaking penalties that like all of our best skaters were gone they were done they were out they were ejected you know we had like half half of our roster got ejected we barely had enough skaters to fill a lineup you know and you can't you know jam skaters back to back to back after the other after the other after the other um they can maybe go two in a row but you want you don't want to go like three four in a row back to back you know and so i was like, I just kind of react. I remember this particular game. I just remember just not even thinking about what condition my body's in or what's going on or anything. I'm just like, it's the last quarter. We have no players. We have to finish this game. Let's just get shit done. And like, I just kind of my brain just left me and my body went into overdrive and into go mode. And I just, put myself on the track for every jam that whole last quarter, because like, there were some folks that were like, you know, there were girls that were going like, maybe do like a couple of jams and then rest and then a couple and then rest or whatever. And I'm just like, went in go mode. I think I only rested for like maybe two jams that whole quarter and we didn't win, but we finished. <laughs> um, and we did well. You know, um, it wasn't a total blowout or anything, but, um, you know, we, we did perform well considering where we were cause like all of our best skaters had all penaltyed out and they were all ejected, you know, off the track done. So it was like our rookies and a couple of vets that had not penaltyed out yet. You know, and we're just trying to be like, please don't get a penalty. Please don't get a penalty. We can't afford any more ejections because if we get one more ejection, then we have to forfeit the game because then we don't have enough for a lineup. And it was just chaos. And so my just went into overdrive and just every jam. It's like they end the jam. And then instead of going to the bench, I just went right back to the starting line. I'm like, let's go. Come on. I'm calling my lineup up onto the track with me. And then we go and then they blow the whistle to the end the jam. And again, I wasn't even going to the bench. I would just go right back to the to the blocker box. and we just, you know, I just kind of took over and just ran everything. And, you know, we finished and at the after all of that is when I realized, I was tired. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I didn't even feel anything. I just kind of took over. And I just because we had so many penalties, and there was nobody to play. I was just like, we have to go every jam. We have no other choice. And yeah, so like the following week when they announced MVPs at the league meeting, my team was like, girl, <laughs> it's all you. That's you. <laughs> That's good. you skated like 14 out of 16 jams, like, holy shit. <laughs> and then there was there was one other time. This was a time on the beauties specifically. Um again I was never a jammer. I think I can count on one hand how many times in my 8 year career that I actually jammed in about um I was always blocking, I was always pivoting, you know. I was the quarterback, you know. Um but uh I again it was like a you know, it was a penalty ejection situation on the beauties and um we had no other option because all of our main jammers had been ejected and we you know folks that don't normally jam had to jam or you know folks who would prefer to block instead of jam this time had to step up and jam and so I ended up having to go in and jam they're like do you think you can do it and I'm like we'll find out (laughs) you know and this was against the brides who at the time were like one of the top one of the top teams yeah like and that was under like the ellie mayhem dynasty you know yeah. and she was like i mean she was untouchable like as far as like jamming blocking everything like you could not touch her you know she was the unicorn for a reason and yeah we were playing against the brides and i had to jam against ellie mayhem mm-hmm. and i had to and I think I jammed like a total of like maybe three jams in that game. And it was all in the second half. Um, but at one point I was jamming two out of those three were against Ellie. And I had to, um, one of them, I actually stole lead jam from her oh, and, yeah. and nice. scored. Nice. And, um, The Brides ended up naming me MVP Jammer from that game after three jams.
0: We will be back with part two with Raven Lunatic. And we are back from an undisclosed location with Raven Lunatic. I am your host, the Boogeyman, and always joined by Master Sedator. Hi. All right, let's get back to the uh, interview here one of the best things i like as a player is when fans approach me at halftime and or after games Mm -hmm. do you have any experience in that
1: um a little it's um what's fun is like when like little kids come up to you and want your autograph you know that's always super fun and super cute and uh what was crazy, like this this happened one time during um, intermission between a double header, like my team played the first game. And so we come off the track and we're just kind of hanging out, you know, D-geared and just hanging out in the crowd. And then uh, my family was at this game and I go to meet up with my family and this group of like <laughs> three or four little girls come running up to my family and me, you all right? But like my, um, I go to meet up with my family and I'm chatting there with them for a little bit. And this group of like three or four little girls come up and they're like, Raven, Raven, I'm like, hi, what's up? Like, Can you sign my program? And my mom is just like, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Can we take a picture? And so, like, that was super cool because it was like, you know, these little girls just think you're, you know, they don't know or care, you know, how you feel or anything. They just think you're this super cool, like, you know, badass chick that, you know, maybe they want to do this when they get older and they think you're just super cool out there, like, hitting people on the track in your roller skates. And they just want to get a picture and get something signed. But, like, it's, in front of your family and then like your family sees like, you know, yeah, you're, I'm here to support you and you're doing this cool thing, but like, Holy crap, this is big enough that you've got fans that want your autograph and you're like low key famous, like, (laughs) huh? Like, so yeah, like my mom and I think I had like almost my entire family was here for this thing. And yeah, like my, my mom and her husband and like a bunch of my siblings and their spouses and kids were all there and they got to witness that. And they're like, wow, you're like legit famous. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm not, but they think I am. So it's kind of (laughs) cool.
0: When a little bit of my experience with that is when people would come up to me and ask to take pictures with me so they can go home and show their kids that the boogeyman is actually real. (laughs) That was like one of the coolest pictures I've ever taken. Nice. Did you have a player that you admired within the league?
1: Um I mean, I admired a lot of the players in the league i mean we had there was a lot of different like best skaters that came and went um probably um like I really through the duration, probably mostly. Like, from a skill perspective, definitely Ellie Mayhem. Um, Just because she was like, but she was like one of those skaters that's seemingly inhuman with her skill level. Like, she could do everything just like almost flawlessly, you know. So she was kind of like, you know, like I said, like she was referred to as the unicorn for a reason, you know. Just because her skill level was just that insane, like no matter what position she was playing you know, and, um, as far as like just a good person or a leader or somebody to look up to on like a, a human level, um, uh, my, uh, my captain on the beauties, you know, Abby Arsenet, you know, she was, um, somebody who had, you know, overcome a lot of stuff. Like in the early days of her career, she dealt with a lot of injuries and, Um, a lot of other stuff going on and always was, you know, super positive and doing, you know, just was always just like a really positive person and really um, she wasn't one of those people that she was definitely kind of like had that thing where she's like one of the cool kids, but she was the cool kid that wasn't too cool to talk to you. You know, she was like, just super down to earth and really approachable and really, um, humble. And her approach to leadership as a captain was very, um, she wasn't a drill sergeant by any means. Like I had captains before that were very all business, very, you know, it's all about the work and very kind of drill sergeant-y. And she wasn't that she was, she had a different approach that was very, um, more of like a positive reinforcement kind of style of motivation and leadership that somebody like me, um, with, you know, with how I respond to the type of training and leadership that I respond to definitely worked a lot better with, you know, than like just being barked at, you know what I mean? And, um, She was somebody that even if you weren't skating, you could just kind of hang out and talk to. And on top of having, you know, amazing blocker skills and everything on the track and being able to really break down skills to teach really well, you know, she just kind of was a different type of leader, but was still the total package, you know. Um, She didn't let her skills get to her head and she didn't um, try to like bully you into being better she didn't try to beat you into the ground she didn't try to break you down to rebuild you she would meet you where you were to you know find you know where your strengths were and nurture your strengths instead of trying to just break you down and then rebuild you from scratch and like for me as a skater and for how my mindset was and with my confidence level and everything else i responded really well to that so she she was somebody i definitely looked up to a lot
0: abby is a very good person yeah we we love her a lot we're all friends in roller derby mm-hmm. but we all hit each other out there <gasps> so do you have a player that was within the league that you guys always had like kind of an accord to go like real hard on each other? Did you have that?
1: Um, I don't know if it was like a, I don't think it was any kind of conscious thing with any particular, not for me, it wasn't a conscious thing with any particular skater that were always like in contention with each other or anything like that. Um, There were definitely skaters in the league that, you know, our personalities clashed and, you know, we, you know, weren't really friends, like we weren't mean to each other or anything like that, but, and I can't speak for any of those people's perspectives, but like from my perspective, there were certainly certain people that you know, their personalities irked me or maybe, you know, their skating style. If I felt like they were a dirty skater, you know, got away with bullshit, you know, then, you know, that shit rubbed me the wrong way. But I don't think there was anybody for me that we had like this sort of personal competition with each other on the track. Um, Friendly
0: or otherwise. Yeah.
1: Friendly or otherwise. Um, Maybe a little bit with, um, maybe a little bit with Lawless in the beginning, like she taunted me a lot on the track um, In you know, trying to get, trying to bring more aggression out of me in the early days. Um, she would sort of like taunt me, like I'd get knocked out by her in a jam, you know, cause she hit hard, like, oh my goodness. She was, she was the one who broke during battle on the bank broke the rail with another skater. Like she hit an opposing skater during battle on the bank so hard that she broke the rail with her body.
0: Oh, that's rad.
1: Yeah. So like she was that intense of a hitter. Um, So she'd like lay me on my ass and then the next jam I'd get up and then she would knock me on my ass again. And then I'm like, damn dude, like, just you know, cut a bitch a break. And then the next jam starts and she's lining up in there and i'm on the bench and she's calling to me she's like hey raven i got a spot right here on the rail just for you come on i know you want it i know you want to get knocked into that rail come on you know and she would kind of taunt me with stuff like that she's all like i got a spot right here with your name on it you know (laughs) so like things like that but it was like it wasn't like a constant competition or anything like that it was just you know kind of friendly taunting and then I think in that jam, I ended up getting just really, like, I think I was just tired of getting knocked down or something, but like, I laid a really good hit on her. And then after that jam, she's like, dude, that was awesome. (laughs) You know, Um, I think, okay, so there is one when my daughter and I were skating together. um, We definitely, um, we weren't trying to, necessarily be competitive against each other but as soon as we were um if we were in a jam together then she's no longer my kid like she's just another opposing skater that i have to knock out you know um but during league scrimmages we would go and free skate this is a fun story you'll love this um and keep in mind she's still in her teens she was like as soon as she turned 18 she tried out for fresh meat and um So she's like 18, 19 when she was, um, on the scrappers. And I remember there was a scrimmage that we had where we, um, you know, we wrapped up scrimmage and I'm just kind of free skating on the track and she's up there free skating on the track with me. And I'm just kind of going, you know, just skating and kind of doing some footwork up and down the track and whatnot. And she's doing laps and she's coming up behind me. Um, cause she was, she was a jammer and she's like teeny, teeny, tiny. So when she was blocking, she was like a mosquito blocker, but then she's also so little that she's tough to stop, you know, when she's jamming, cause she can fit into tiny spaces. So she was coming up behind me on the track and she yells up to me like, you know, mom, give me a whip. You yeah. know, and I decided not to give her a whip. Instead I slowed down in front of her and just started you know like started blocking her and i made her slow down and she realized you know after a little bit that i was not going to give her a whip and i was slowing her down and when she realized that she goes to how how vulgar can i get on this show
0: <laughs> oh it's it we're roller derby skaters Total,
1: totally un, okay so we're gonna this is gonna be totally uncensored story then so then she realizes that I'm not giving her a whip. I'm not helping her around me. I am actually slowing her down and blocking her and you know, keeping her behind me. And she realizes this and she's like, are you seriously blocking me right now you fucking cunt nugget? <laughs> Keep in mind, she's 18 and I'm her mother. <laughs> and, I, and then it goes quiet and I stop and I'm like, it's silent for like a good like 20 seconds and her face just drops and she goes like white. And she's like, I am so sorry, mom. Oh my God, that it just came out. I am so sorry. And I just start laughing my head off and I am cracking up. And I'm like, dude, we are on the track right now. We're in Derby it's okay. I'm not mad. And I thought it was the funniest shit ever. And then I get off the track and I started telling all of my teammates and anybody else who was in the vicinity to listen. I'm like, dude, you want to hear what Princess just said to me? This is hilarious. (laughs) And they're like, oh my God, I would be so mad. And I'm like, no, I'm like, dude, we're in, we're at practice. We're in Derby. I'm like, and I know it's not malicious or whatever. She's not like talking back to her mother kind of thing. You know, she's mouthing off to another skater out of frustration. and. Like putting it in that context, I thought it was hilarious, you know, because I also know like she's never said anything like that to me at home before, and I know she never would. But it was very much a reaction on the track, and I thought it was funny as hell. And she was scared shitless in that moment because she just realized she called her mother a fucking cunt nugget. (laughs) (laughs) So, So yeah, so that was like we 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 had fun in a competitive way, like during scrimmages. But like when it was game time, it was just game time. It's just you know, another skater that I have to, you know, stop.
0: Yeah. That's the way, that's the way I feel about it too. You might be my friend, but in between those whistles, and if you got a different colored fucking shirt on than me, Mm -hmm. um, I'm not your friend until the final whistle. Yeah. You are my competitor. Yeah. At that point.
1: You're just another body that's in the way of my win.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So out of the three positions in the roller derby, what did you prefer playing? Pivot. Pivot wise that?
1: Um I I I liked I didn't gravitate I didn't necessarily aim to be that position I kind of just fell into it but I found out you know through practice and nurturing from my team and and all the things that I was learning about myself through my tenure I guess um that I turned out to be pretty good at it um so I you know, enjoyed being, I enjoyed being the person on the track that was kind of calling the shots and and running her team. You know, I would get, I'd get loud and I, you know, if I can't get to a spot, I can put somebody there that needs to be there. And if I can't physically react to it, I know who, you know, who's in the position that can, you know, and I could see everything. And where I, lacked in the actual physical skill i made up for in the mental game and the strategy part and that was more my strength than anything else so that's where i ended up kind of gravitating and i ended up really really enjoying playing that position because as a pivot you're kind of you know have to be in your fingers are kind of in a little bit of all of the pieces you know um never did have the star pass to me at any point but i was kind of okay with that (laughs) you know because again jamming was not my strong suit i was that was never my that was never my bag um you know i thought i thought initially that i would be a jammer just because i am a small petite human being um and i didn't think that my size would allow would translate well into blocking and i learned very quickly that that is not the case at all you know Mm -hmm. so yeah pivoting was like totally that was that was my bag you know
0: Yeah, that's that's one thing that people will oftentimes assume out of me being a smaller person and having like a burst speed. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, you must be a jammer because this or that. I'm like, no, not really. I'm more. Effective as a blocker, even though I'm a small guy, I'll still tear it up out there.
1: Yeah. And everybody who met me and would find out that I played roller derby, they automatically assumed that I was a jammer because they're like, there's some big ass girls that play out there. There's no way that you could hold your ground against these girls and you just get knocked around like crazy. And I'm like, yes, but I'm knocking them down too. And I'm like, and you don't have, you don't have to be like this big cannonball style blocker to be an effective blocker. And that's what you know, a lot of folks, you know, who aren't in the community and are involved with Derby don't get, you know, they assume that if you're big, you're a blocker. And if you're small, you're a jammer, because if you're small, you can't hit, you know, and it's like, you don't have to hit to be an effective blocker. You can just annoy the shit out of somebody and distract them so that they can't stop the jammer. You know, it's like, you're just the mosquito on the track. (laughs)
0: Yep, that is what I pride myself on yep. as being the boogeyman and I'm everywhere and nowhere all at the same time.
1: Yep, and then I just would see the plays and see what's happening and I could call it as it's happening and, and get my team to react accordingly. So, you know, I I excelled at the mental game and I used that to my advantage on the track, you know.
0: What kept you in the game for as long is as you were in it for?
1: Um, It kind of changed as the years went by. Originally, it was very much that, you know, like not wanting to give up. I really want to do this and I want to, you know, prove to myself that I can do this. Um, And then um, things with uh, like team dynamics and stuff were changing and, and I was kind of feeling a certain kind of way that wasn't really super great. Um, So after a while, or for for a little while, um, my motivation to stay was kind of just spite. Like, I don't want, you know, certain negative people or, or negative influences to get me and make me quit. So I ended up, you know, continuing out of spite. And then I came into a better place and and more nurturing and confidence and and things like that to where it became fun again, you know. And it just kind of fluctuated depending on whatever whatever I was going through at the time or whatever um, whatever I needed at the time or or you know whether good or bad, you know. It would go from just like something to for- prove to I'm not going to let any of these negative forces force me out and make me out to be a quitter you know I just you know the the perpetual underdog basically you know I always felt even if I you know even if I was doing well I always felt like the underdog so it was always like I can't you know I can't be the underdog that is defeated so I just continued to stick with it and stick with it and stick with it and I wound up being the last one standing out of my fresh meat group
0: so this goes nice into our next question yeah how did roller derby enrich your personal life
1: good grief well i dragged my husband into it (laughs) i dragged my husband into i dragged my whole family into it we actually every like literally my whole family at the time was in the league for a couple of seasons together all of us were part of the league so I was skating, my daughter, I was on the bombshells, my daughter was on the scrappers, my husband was the captain of the regulators, and my son was a non-skating official in his teens. So, like, literally the whole clan was involved in the league in one form or another. So, like, I dragged my family into it. Um, I actually, um, uh, like, dated a couple of people in Derby, briefly, Um, none of whom are skating anymore, but... Um, and, uh, we had, God, how else it definitely had a weird effect on like my non Derby personal life in the sense that like, because it Derby is a commitment, you know, it's a huge, it's a huge commitment. If you've always got, if you don't have practice, then you have like other obligations, you have fundraisers, you have committee meetings, you have, you know, all these other things going on. So it, it's almost like having a whole nother full-time job and it affects your, um, it affects every other aspect of your life with, you know, personal relationships and stuff like that. So um, there were friends that I had before Derby that I had lost touch with As a result of derby or we had like maybe we were still in touch but there was a disconnect because my whole life and almost my whole identity even became was revolved around that to where it's like you know i kind of became this whole other person um and you know some folks were along for the ride and some you know couldn't you know because they you know we just didn't relate anymore you know And then when some of that came to light with me, I'm realizing, yeah, I've kind of made this my entire identity. And this is just one thing that I do. It's not my whole life, you know? So maybe I need to reassess some of my priorities and not blow off the people that have been there for me for longer than this sport has, because, you know, those people were there before and I want them to still be there after because Derby's not going to be forever you know?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure.
1: Like one of my best friends in the whole world, at one point, we hit a really low point and she, she even, we had a talk about it one time. She felt like she had completely lost me and that we couldn't even be friends anymore because I had become so consumed by everything was about, you know, derby, derby, derby and skating and the team. And I did this and that and whatever, and just became so involved with it that she couldn't even relate to me anymore. And we ended up having a big, you know a big heart to heart about it and that was kind of the wake up call for me it's all like you know what this is part of my life not my entire life and this is a very important person that i don't want to lose so you know probably just kind of reassess things a little bit
0: <laughs> all right um so being around for so long and having many younger players come through the league and stay with the league or what have you mm-hmm. when you were a veteran skater did you have any of the younger players, younger or newer skaters
1: mm-hmm.
0: that looked up to you?
1: Um, maybe. <laughs> um, or if you
0: don't know, that's okay too. Maybe they did it on the secret and just wrote you letters. At,
1: at the time, I did not believe so because I always had that, you know, underdog comparison, you know, thing where you kind of have to prove that you belong here kind of thing and fighting for your place and fighting for your voice kind of thing. And sometimes you can fight for it. And sometimes you just kind of want to give up, you know, it's like, I'm never going to fit in that, you know, that nonsense. Um, but in some of those, in some of those darker moments that i had with like my my confidence and all of that stuff um what would kind of snap me out of it a little bit would be somebody would you know whether it be a fresh meat skater or a you know teammate or a league mate who was newer to the sport would say something completely unexpected to me about you know just like, you know, well, I, I've, I've been a huge fan of yours for X number of years. Like I would come and watch, you know, like you've always been one of my, like, you've always been my favorite skater and you're the reason that I, you know, like tried out for fresh meat in the first place. Cause I loved watching you play. And it wasn't like, I'm a big bombshells fan or I'm a big beauties fan. It's like, I'm a big Raven lunatic fan. And that would just completely take me by surprise. Um, but also you know, would kind of wake me up to like, dude, why are you feeling sorry for yourself? There are people who look up to you, even if you don't see it, you know, and if you don't see it in yourself, there's still people that see it in you. And that's why you should still stay, you know, and that's why you keep doing it.
0: And that was, that was uh, the rewarding part for you.
1: Absolutely. Imagine. Yeah. Cause it's like you, you, you you have those moments where you always feel like you're never going to measure up to like the rock star skaters or the, you know, the all-stars. Um, and then somebody hits you with, you know, to me, you're the all you're the all-star to me. Right. You know, and it takes you completely okay. by surprise, but it's still really um, you know, it it reminds you that you do have a place and that you're you're not insignificant, like your your place in this team or in this sport isn't insignificant you're not just a body filling a roster you know you're actually matter to somebody and even though if you don't see it or recognize it yourself or it's not like in your face all the time you know like some of the rock star skaters maybe um there's still people that are there that they're you're their reason for wanting to do this you know so which for me was surprising but it was still really kind of that aha kind of thing
0: Okay, so you've participated in co-ed roller derby before. Yes. Your first time playing in a co-ed roller derby event.
1: Oh my goodness. What was that like
0: <laughs> for you? And how did you feel about playing with men?
1: Oh my goodness gracious. Whew, okay. My first time in a co-ed derby event? <laughs> was when I was a rookie, rookie, rookie on the Bombshells. And I got more playtime in this co-ed event than I did probably my entire season, like first season on the Bombshells. And it was at Country Thunder, believe it or not. So we had, okay, so um, this was my first season as a Bombshell um lady lawless was my captain and she had you know she was uh in her real life she was uh she was an attorney and she had like different businesses and stuff and had a lot of business contacts um so she actually had done some work and had set up a deal to get us be part of the entertainment and uh as for country thunder that year and they actually paid the league To, we had our own tent where we moved the track and we took the track out to Florence. They poured out a concrete slab for us and we were paid entertainment, just like the country artists there. So they had the different performance stages for the concerts, right? And then they also had the dirty stage. So they poured a concrete slab for us to build the track on. We had a tent, we had seats, the whole thing. And it was like four days. We had a campsite, we camped out there. Um, And if you were one of the skaters that parked, and we were, the league was paid to be there and uh, skaters that volunteered to camp out there and stay there from start to finish with the track building, the breakdown and skating in bouts every day. And we were contractually obligated to have a certain number of bouts every single day of the event. um, Then we got paid you know so uh some skaters only went out there for like a day or a couple days some i was one of the ones that was there from start to finish um but the second day of country thunder the whole day was co-ed bouts and we had like 30 they were all 30 minute bouts and we had to do like i think there was like four or five games per day that we were doing there were just like 30 minute mini bouts but day two was co-ed day so we were you know we had the guys come out and um uh, i'm just still very new to derby and just very new to playing in about on a team in the first place and now i'm playing with dudes (laughs) you know and so it was at first i was scared by it but after the first bout that we had i'm like oh my god you guys are so much fun i just want to play with you all the time
0: <laughs> and in my experience that does seem to be the consensus especially <laughs> yeah. when you have a group of guys out there that aren't being a bunch of dicks
1: and all the guys but that were still there.
0: competing and not treating you ladies like you're subpar
1: exactly because
0: we're all there doing the same thing essentially
1: yeah and the guys were definitely not they weren't being assholes with trying to knock you out as hard as they could that being said they also didn't compromise their skating style or their level of aggression in play like they were playing to win and they were playing to compete and were very competitive but not skating dirty which i appreciated and they were just like the nicest group of dudes and we had like we had our our morning bouts and we would go back to our campsite and we'd have like off time for a couple hours and then we would have our evening bouts and then we'd be done for the night and we can go and party and do whatever um so like midday after the first two bouts like all the guys come back to the dame's campsite and we've got like the barbecue grills going and we got food and we're all just you know having food and drinking beers and having a good time and we're all just kind of hanging out and getting to know each other and i got to chatting with you know a lot of the guys And ended up making some really cool friends at this event that ended up being my buddies for a long time, you know, and I started going to the men's bouts after that. And, you know, they would come out to the dames bouts and they'd be there for co-ed scrimmages and stuff. But like, yeah, like I, and I had done other co-ed bouts after that, but to like, to this day, like the best time ever co-ed anything was country thunder. Like that whole day was just the best.
0: What was your decision to
1: retire? My decision to retire. um, It was, it was a number of things. It was, I was, so it was part full disclosure. It was part retirement and part um, being fired sort of. Um, my last season in the league, I had a ton of really bad, ugly things going on in every aspect of my life. Um, Derby was no longer going well for me. Um, and was, there were a lot of elements that were no longer making me happy. Um, there were a lot of things going on in my personal life that I was struggling with. And I was just in a very extremely low, low, low place, um, mentally, um, physically, I was doing fantastic. Um, I was playing well, I was performing well. I was, you know, fully into CrossFit at that time too. And I had become a CrossFit coach and um you know all of and had gotten my degree and and was doing well with that but I barely made it through my last semester at school too because of everything else that was going on in my in my personal life and just how shitty I was feeling and I was just in this horrible deep depression um, to the point that I was becoming um, a little self-destructive and a little toxic and I was very kind of extremely distant with my teammates. And in my head at the time, I felt like by keeping myself separate from my team and just avoiding everybody that I was sparing them my dark cloud and my dismay and my negativity and, um, looking back on it, I, you know, know now with where I'm at now, like that I was. You know, a lot of the negative things that were going on that were Derby related are still very valid. You know, that's still negative, but, um, the way I was reacting to it was just as negative and I was just as big of a culprit in that, um, as everything else was. And it had gotten to a point where I just was not a good person to be around. And I had already made the decision that that season was going to be my final season. Um, And I would be retiring at the end of that season and I'd be done. Um, But things had come to a head um, to the point where um, my captains had actually approached me and asked me to step down mid season because we're like, we, you know, like we've, we've tried to work with you. We've tried to help you we know you're going through a lot and we're trying to do everything we can to try and, you know, do, they were, they were trying to their best, but what they were doing wasn't working for me. And I wasn't able to respond to the type of care that they were trying to give. Um, And it just all kind of came to a head and, and my captains approached me and asked me to, you know, ask me to leave um so on the one hand that was really really a gut punch and was really heartbreaking but part of me sort of saw it coming um and so i i was already planning to leave which was kind of the only like saving grace i or not really saving grace but like the only kind of solace i guess that i found it's all like well this is going to be my last season anyway i really wanted to leave on my own terms, but I didn't get to do that. And I completely understand why. Um, but, uh, it was, yeah, it was just a culmination of a lot of negative things that was affecting everything in my life and was affecting Derby to the point where I just could not, I just wasn't happy in it anymore. I didn't find joy in it anymore. And I needed to um, realistically I probably should have retired at the end of the previous season and I made the decision not to and I think that was the wrong decision I think I should have I think I should have left after my seventh season and and not you know have been asked to leave by my eighth you know yeah. but I also still as 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 unhappy as I was I still had that little bit of a you know that's still little spark of spite in me of not wanting to, if I leave, then I'm just a big quitter and I didn't want to be a big quitter, you know? So I had decided and, and told my team that this was going to be my last season and I thought that things would be okay and it turned out not. And I ended up becoming a worse and worse person to be around. It's like while I was on the track and I'm skating, I'm doing well, but on every other level I was not you know, and they made the decision that they did. They stood by it. I respected it. And I went to practice that night. And um, at the end of practice, I didn't skate. um, But I did go to practice and kind of, you know, helped run bench and participate and get feedback and stuff. And when we had our little wind down hippie circle at the end of practice, like we all did, um, I announced that that was my last practice and I was leaving. And I had to take a lot of time off and just completely step away from Derby for a long time after that, like I didn't go to bouts. I didn't follow any Derby related anything on social media. Um, I took all of my stuff like I kept my skates and I would still go skating from time to time just for funsies, but you know, I wasn't skating on a track. I wasn't, um, associating with anybody in Derby. I wasn't, I just cut all of it off. I put all my uniforms and all of my everything team related and league related. I like put in a box and locked it away in the closet. And I just had to just completely cut everything Derby related out of my life for like a good four years after I retired. And it wasn't until just this last year, um, where I was starting to feel um I guess healed enough to be in a place to where I could start to reapproach it as a fan again. And I went to I've been to a couple of dames bouts um recently and was really nervous to go <laughs> because well, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know how I was gonna feel once I set foot back in the warehouse again. I didn't know Um, how, um, certain people that were still in the league that were there when I was still there, when all of this stuff was going down, how my presence was going to affect them or if it was going to affect them, or if I was just going to get the cold shoulder, I had no idea what was going to happen. Um, and I show up at the bout and some of my old teammates that were there, they saw me in the audience and it was just like, nothing had happened. It was just, you know, love and we love you. We miss you. You know, we're so happy you're here, you know, and then it just became, I was a fan again and I became like their cheerleader in the crowd. So, but it, it took a lot of time away and just cutting it off and just self healing and growth and introspection and just healing to be able to go back to that.
0: So you kind of answered this, Mm -hmm. but my last question about roller derby is yes how as a competitive roller derby athlete mm-hmm. getting in your car after that last practice how did you feel it sounded like there were some hard feelings in there
1: there after that last practice with the way with the way i left um there There was some hard feelings after the one-on-one talk with my captains. Um, but by the end of that discussion, um, they agreed to still let me kind of, you know, even though they were effectively kicking me off the team, um, I, they did allow me to go to practice and still have the opportunity to leave on my terms. So I went ahead and went to practice and, um, you know, again, wasn't skating, but I was there and just kind of bench coaching and doing things and like running the timers and all that stuff. Um, and they gave me the opportunity to step down to the team. Um, and, uh, just basically the reasons that I gave them, I'm like, I, you know, as all of you have known and experienced all season long, I am not well. I am not well mentally. I am not well emotionally. And I don't, you know, if I continue to stay, then it's going to continue to bring the rest of the team down. So the best thing for this team is for me to walk away from it. So with that, everybody you know, understood and appreciated it. I got a lot of hugs and support and, you know, you know, here's, you know, mental health, we get it. You know, I have some contacts if you, you know, are interested in getting help. Um, uh, one of the newer teammates that had just been drafted to the team um, had some like, you know, herbal supplement recommendations to help with like mood regulation and, and stuff like that and and mental health and things. Um, so the team understood and, uh, supported the decision for me to walk away, but not in, it didn't feel like it was with a sense of, you know, find good riddance. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. We're glad you're gone. It was more of a, we can tell that, you are not in the right headspace right now and that this is no longer good for you to the point that you're no longer good for us either and we appreciate you and respect you to support you in this and you know whether you come back or not we still love you you know and that's that was the feeling um leaving the track and leaving the warehouse for the last time after that practice And it, I can't say that it felt good, but it didn't feel like a gut punch betrayal or anything like that either.
0: Well, that's, that's good. Yeah. That's real good. So we are here with Raven Lunatic. Hi, hi. She has a couple of cats and a very cute snorty dog yes Can you tell us a little bit about your pets please
1: <laughs> oh my goodness gracious okay so my cats so they're twin boys they're both black cats they're about eight years old um i've had them since they were since they were stray baby kittens that were taken in by an animal hospital um and they were like from the same litter and were already bonded and they didn't want to adopt them out separately Um, So I took them both home myself. They were like five months old. Their names are Salem and Binks. And they are still very, very close brothers. Um, Salem is the super lovey, cuddly one, but he's also a big bossy diva. (laughs) (laughs) And then Binks is like the quiet, shy... You know, super sweet, but very quiet and shy um, one, but is also kind of the dirty old man who doesn't like to take care of himself anymore. He just kind of a couple years ago decided that grooming is stupid. So I, (laughs) I have to groom him like Salem is super shiny and pretty and manicured and Banks is very like messy and has mats and stuff. And it's not because he's sick. It's just because he's lazy. Oh yeah. (laughs) I had a
0: Siamese cat when she got a little too old to uh, groom herself. Cause when I was petting him up here on the counter, I was like, Oh yeah, I know what that is. Oh yeah.
1: No. And when it happened, I was like, at first I thought he was sick and I took him to the vet and was like super worried about him. And the vet gave him, he's like, he's a really good, healthy weight. He's, you know, his blood work came back good. He's in great shape. He's, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with him. He's perfectly healthy. He's just probably lazy because sometimes male cats, when they get to a certain age, they just decide to be lazy and stop grooming. They're like, so he's probably just hitting that age where he just doesn't want to groom anymore. They're like, but otherwise he's fine. And I'm like, so you're just a lazy shit, then? You're like the odd couple. He's this, you know. Salem is Felix, and Banks is Oscar.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then, yeah, your, little-
0: your dog over there is really wanting some attention because oh, you're giving too much to the cat.
1: Oh, I know. She's she's a little princess. So this is my little pug nugget Toff. Yes, she is named after the earthbender in in Avatar. Um, because she's a feisty little sassy badass Um, and she's a total little pampered brat but also super sweet and super smart and yeah she she's my baby I've had her she's two now and I got her when she was an 11 week old puppy and yeah she she's like totally my baby yeah (laughs) Yes, you are. You know, I'm talking about you. That's why you're trying to be extra cute right now.
0: <laughs> All right. So real quick, while we're uh, wrapping up the show here, yes. do you have any uh, thing you'd like to promote or anything upcoming that you got going on?
1: Um, well, Let's see. So or
0: starting back up.
1: Yeah. Um, so a while back, like pre pandemic, I had actually um, after leaving Derby, um, I kind of Cause like the last couple of seasons when I was finishing up my degree and um, getting involved in, I got involved in CrossFit actually. So with a lot of the stuff with Derby, um, getting into Derby transitioned me into um, learning that I loved training and I loved teaching and that I was pretty good at it. So I decided that I wanted to try to make that a profession. So I, got enrolled at um, Scottsdale community college in their exercise science program. And I got my fitness degree there. And some of my teammates went to my graduation, which is awesome. And, um, I, uh, in an effort to stay in shape and cross train for Derby, I, uh, was introduced to CrossFit and fell in love with that. And ended up becoming a level one CrossFit trainer. So for the last six years, and I've since um, uh, resorted and done the L2 course. So I'm actually a level two CrossFit trainer now um, and certified with ACSM as a personal trainer. And I have my degree. So I actually do when I'm not working my day job, I'm a you know CrossFit coach and personal trainer.
0: Do you have um, a, a website or anything that you can uh, give out and uh, get people to maybe hit you up?
1: I do not have a website currently. I used to have an account on Thumbtack, um, but I'm kind of revamping and rebranding that before it goes live. So, but what I do, um, uh, I do have the Coach Raven SLM Facebook page and also the Strength Love Metal Instagram page, um, which uh, I promote just like my personal stuff, but also a lot of fitness and CrossFit stuff and training things. Um, So folks that are interested in uh, exercise programming or CrossFit or personal training or things like that can always hit me up either through the Coach Raven SLM page or the Strength Love Metal Instagram page um, for anything like that. If they want to work with me as a trainer um, or just, you know, fitness advice, if they're like a new derby skater and want to know what some of the best workouts are and exercises for cross training for developing for that dude, I can hook you up. I got, you know, I got you. Um, and with strength, love metal, that's actually the name of a podcast that I started, um, before COVID happened, um, which was my show where I was promoting and talking about just kind of, um, positive living and, and doing like, you know, uh, highlighting what I call the patron saints of underdogs because I always felt like the underdog and wanted to kind of give appreciation to you know other folks with that and doing it through the lens and the perspective of my two big passions in life which are fitness and heavy metal music you know like as fellow rocker fellow metalhead you understand how you know this kind of music can have you know, as aggressive as it is, it can have a very positive kind of cathartic, um, effect on you that filters out into other areas of your life. You know, even if like the content can sort of be sort of dark and seemingly negative at times, it ultimately has a very positive effect. So I wanted to take this show and use and, um, kind of promote that type of mentality as a means for just like, you know, positive living, you know, um, with the intensity of, of a metalhead, you know, applying that to fitness, applying that to life and the show was going great for a while. And then COVID happened and um, tried to keep it going through that and um, uh, did a show. The last episode I did was a while back and I did a review of, uh, the, uh, life of agonies, uh, documentary film, which is, if you haven't seen it, oh my God, it's amazing. It's so good. Um, and, um, uh, going through some life transitions right now, um, just moved into this place and, you know, kind of working some things out before I can pick the show back up again, but I do intend to bring the show back. Um, the existing episodes are on all of the streaming sites. So it's the strength, love metal podcast. Um, so it's on Spotify and Apple music and Spreaker and everywhere else. Um, I think it's even on iHeartRadio.
0: Oh, right on. Yeah.
1: So like all of those, so all of the, the different big streaming services, you can still find all of the old episodes and I'm hoping to have new episodes starting up, um, hopefully by the summertime.
0: All right, sweet. Well, we will definitely have to have you back on when you are about to fire your show back up. Heck yeah. And we thank you very much for coming on and sharing your story. And as a player that I've admired when I was a fan and had the pleasure of playing with a few good times on the track. And skating
1: 14 miles in three
0: cities together. (laughs) Absolutely, I can't forget that. She is one of the very few people that has went out on an endurance skate with me.
1: My ass had never been so sore in my entire life. <laughs> it
0: was it was kind of far, but it was awesome. I had a,
1: I had a blast on that skate. It was so much fun. It was hard, but it was it was amazing.
0: Well, you do live pretty close to this trail here, and Master and I do yep. like going shredding. So maybe when you get your skates back, we can go for a, go for a little kick out there.
1: As soon as I get my skates from my old place, I, I will hit you up. I'm. I'm out of practice. I'm out of shape right now, but I am ready to get back into shape. I'm down to skate.
0: Fuck yeah. (laughs) All right. So there you have it, folks. That was the first episode of the series of local retired legends. We say until next time to Raven Lunatic and to you, gentle listener. If you have gone this far through this episode, please rate, review, subscribe to Apple Podcasts and Spotify out from under the bed with the Boogeyman. I would like to shout out our show artist, Cherry Jane, again. Thank you so much for the sweet show art. And at this time, I would always like to remind you to look twice and save a life. Motorcycles are everywhere. This is the Boogeyman and Master Sedator returning back under the bed, but never into the closet. Thank you so much for listening.